You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where we dig into dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. Today we're focusing on the benefits of soil amelioration and the advantages of fixing subsoil acidity. Our guests today include soil researcher Jason Condon from Charles Sturt University and New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Wagga Wagga Development Officer Helen Burns. They give some insights into research findings in this space and we're also going to hear from farmer and agronomist Sandy Middleton who has had some massive wins with fixing subsoil acidity. Firstly though, my my co-host, Pete Newman, does join me. How are you going, Pete? Yeah, I'm great, Jess. How are you getting on? Yeah, good. I uh, went for the first official hike of the season on the weekend, so that was very nice. We've had some rain in the Perth Metro, so went to Les Murdy Falls and also did the zigzag scenic drive, uh, which is now open, which has been closed for a number of years, to oversee the Perth City lights, so it was quite nice. Nice start to the cool weather. Beautiful, yeah, you got to make the most of this time of year, don't you? It's just stunning. I had a lovely weekend too, but I can't say the same for my footy tips, Jess. I just cannot tip a winner this year. I don't know how everyone else is going, but <laughs> it's very hard year to tip footy. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing so well. I won last year. I'm very much in the middle of the road of this year. Oh, I don't do footy tipping anymore, but I was working in a big office about a decade ago and I had beginner's luck and I won, won the footy tipping for the first round and everyone was coming over to me as, you know, 18-year-old Jess for some footy tips, only for the next week to be completely uh, kicked out of the top position. So I can feel, yeah. I relate to the pain, Pete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh. We'll work it out. <laughs> work it out. We've got <laughs> we've got a big uh, podcast for you today. Some really great interviews and uh, great insights. You're going to be convinced that uh, fixing your subsoil acidity is uh, top of your priority list after listening to these interviews. But before we get into the interviews, we've got some exciting news from WeedSmart as well. Our tickets are officially on sale for WeedSmart Week Mildura. This is our annual flagship event and it's happening from August 30 to September 1 and and so if you are keen to get your tickets straight away at the early bird price, you can head to our events page on our website for more info and to get your ticket. Pete, you're going to be there. Are you excited? Yeah, always good to travel and meet people and get the team together. Jess, because of COVID, we haven't had the whole WeedSmart team together for years. So can't wait to spend time with the rest of the team as well. No, I am so excited and I actually haven't officially met Chris Davey in person, I don't think yet. So it'll be our first meeting in person after years of talking on yeah. Zoom calls and the like. So we're really excited and we hope to see everyone there who can make it too. But let's crack on and get into the podcast today. Pete, firstly, we're going to be hearing from Jason Condon and Helen Burns. This is a really insightful interview and there's a quite a few interesting points that come, came up. But one of the things that you mentioned off mic, Pete, were, uh, was the fact that sampling at different depths of soil is really important to get a really whole, uh, a good picture of what your acidity, soil acidity is. Can you talk to that point a bit, Pete? Yeah, this is absolutely game-changing stuff, Jess, because farmers and, – and look, we've had it in WA already where we've got, we've got soil acidity pr really quite deep, often 20 to 30 centimetres even deeper. And so we've been battling with how to get lime down there for a long time. Um, we're hearing from some researchers in New South Wales and their acidity isn't as deep, but it's still – you know, down the profile a little bit. And they found that, and I won't spoil the interview too much, but I met with Helen a couple of years ago and 
they were finding that farmers were putting lime on the top, right, and then sampling the full depth of 10 centimetres and, and seeing that the pH had gone up and thinking, oh, good job done. But then Helen got in and sampled at 25 mil increments and found they just fixed the soil acidity in the top 50 mil and the next 50 mil was still just as acid as. And so that really changed things. And then they've worked out, oh, we're going to actually have to cultivate this stuff in and put on more lime than we probably thought we needed. And so it's game-changing stuff. And the good news, Jess, is there's big results, as we'll hear. So I'm really excited about this research and, and hats off to, to Jason and Helen for, for what they've done. And, and I'm sure that growers are going to take it up. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's jump in and take a listen. Jason and Helen join us on the podcast now to talk about this topic. How are you both going? Great, thanks. Good, thanks, Jess. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, before we get into the details of this topic today, can we just run through uh, some of the benefits of soil amelioration and, uh, yeah, what it entails? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, in general, amelioration uh, just means to fix. It literally means to fix. And for us, the fix is is about fixing the constraint of soil acidity. And uh, where we are over here in um, southern um so New South Wales, acidity is a major constraint for us. Um, it, it occupies 21 million hectares of New South Wales and it costs us about $400 million annually in lost production. So it's significant, right? And we need to do something about it. So um, to date, all the work that's been done over the last sort of 30, 30 years, lime still remains the most cost-effective ameliorant to increase pH. So we, we spread it on the soil um, and it reacts to increase the pH away from acidity and to, to um, remove some of the negative effects that acidity brings to the soil and, and such as aluminium toxicity. So we, we put lime on to remove the acidity so we get uh, better crop growth and better options for crops and pastures. Yeah, excellent. And, yeah, that makes total sense. And you're researching in this space. Can you give us a bit of background on what you're looking at? Yep, sure. So um, the work that we've done recently in the last 10 years or so has largely shown that our current practices for amelioration of acid soils uh, has been pretty ineffective. So we've limed with a, a, a focus on removing aluminium toxicity and by keeping that as our focus, we've limed to pHs measuring calcium chloride of, of around five, a little bit over five, because you remove the the aluminium toxicity when you do that um, but what what we found is when when growers have been doing that so they've been following best practice and doing the right things the acidity still remains in the soil and, and it's and it's largely around that sort of 10 to 15 centimeters down we still have this acid layer even if you've been applying lime and i i should say that's in our soils over here in, in, in New South Wales. And so, um, like in Western Australia, the exact same thing happens, but it's just happening further down the profile. So, it might be 20, 30 centimetres down and not 10 to 15 centimetres down. And so, the way that, that advisors have been sampling or agronomists have been sampling when they're looking at trying to find is, is a city an issue has been to take 0 to 10 uh, centimetre soil samples and and then get that tested. And the problem with our liming practices and that sampling methodology is that it actually masks the presence of those acid layers either within the top 10 centimetres or below the 10 centimetres. And so it's possible to um, 
sample in 10 centimetre increments and not actually realise you have an acidity problem. And that's especially significant when people have been implementing the liming programs that they have been doing because they've spent the money, they thought they, they're doing the job, the 10 centimetre sampling is actually saying, oh, yes, the pH increased, but it's not showing these acid layers lower down. Or uh, And so whilst the advisor and the grower thinks they've improved the soil, the plant still is impacted by acidity and you, you cop the, the production uh, loss because of that. Yeah, okay. That is really interesting. So, in terms of thinking about an ideal system to get the best results then for soil amelioration, what would you describe that for growers in New South Wales and Victoria to be? Yeah, so, um, number one is we need to identify the extent of the acidity. When I say extent, like how bad it is and where it is. And our work has shown that the best way to do that is to actually sample in five centimetre increments down to 20 centimetres for our soils. And I know in WA it's different, but certainly in the eastern states, like, you know, our work is pretty clear. Doing that allows you to see the extent of the acidity and from that you can uh, calculate an appropriate lime rate to, and and the important thing here is to hit a pH of greater than five and a half. So up around six, keeping the pH up over five and a half allows alkali to move further down the profile and get rid of some of that subsurface acidity. And so, yeah, it's it's a pretty clear uh, message when you look at the work that's been done. That's a big change that growers need to get their head around and need to start liming to a higher pH and making the reliming trigger when the pH declines and hits 5.5. So we, in the ideal scenario, we never let the pH in the surface, 10 centimetres, get um, less than 5.5 because that maximises the removal of acidity deeper in the profile. And what that does, uh, and incorporate lime, when you spread it, incorporate it. and. One of the other things our work has shown and it's been known, the sooner you do that, the less it costs effectively. If you wait for your acidity to get worse, then the cost to ameliorate it is much higher because the rates of lime that you need to put out to hit those higher pH targets is more. And so we always talk about you're better off maintaining your good soils than waiting until there are really bad soil that costs a lot of money to fix up. Now, the benefit of fixing the bad soils up or maintaining the really productive soils so they don't exhibit that acidity is that you have a, uh, it allows you to grow a wider range of crops and pastures that aren't sensitive to acidity, okay? And so that's great on plant diversity issues. It's great on uh, allowing growers to have the opportunity to grow higher value crops at certain times uh, and it certainly in terms of weed management allows you more options of um, species to grow that might fit better with a weed control herbicide strategy and so of course if you've got a, a, a healthier ph you've got better soil uh, diversity biodiversity um, which then feeds into a, you know, your rhizobia works better, so your legumes fix more nitrogen, you can grow effective legumes, and then you get the system benefits of having that, that crop diversity um, on your farm. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. 
And let's touch on weed control for a moment. Helen, there are benefits in terms of weed control in uh, using this uh, approach. Can you walk us through what those benefits are? Right. Well, just following on from what Jason's just said, the one of the primary benefits for weed management with um, in addressing soil acidity is that you're going to improve the vigour of the crop or pasture species, and that includes more vigorous and expansive root systems. So um, a lot of what people in the past probably concentrated on looking at top growth for response to um, liming, people should start digging up the roots to see what the roots are doing. It all tells you a lot about how the constraints are affecting plant growth. And anyway, if you're starting to ameliorate the soil, and certainly in our work, you see greater depth of, of roots and also much more dense root hairs. And that all increases the competitive advantage of the crop or pasture competition for nutrients and water, get more vigorous plants. And certainly in the work that we've done, you can see that you know, plants like canola, which are quite sensitive to some of the aluminium uh, manganese levels that we're looking at in the acid soils, you're just getting much bigger rosettes of the um, canola early on and if you get a good canopy cover early the weeds just don't stand a chance compared to the the um, acid soil plots where you've got a, a whole range of um, weed populations underneath the, those acid sensitive crops. Okay yeah that makes sense and Obviously, yield is what is on growers' minds when they're making these kind of decisions and increases in yield and more profitability are some of the outcomes from addressing this issue. What kind of increases can growers expect to see on average if they deal with their soil acidity? This depends a lot. I mean, Jason talked about the extent and the, of, um, or the severity of the acidity and the depth of the acidity and we've got different crop species with different tolerances. If you're looking at acid-sensitive species like um, pulses and you've got, um, you just should not be growing it in some of those um, soils that have got pHs below 4.8 to depth. Um, and you'd get you know, something like 50% yield decline or more in some of those soils. With wheat, it's probably a little bit more subtle. There, the, and plants, depending on the seasonal conditions, you can you can sort of mask the acid soil effect. But it's in the tougher seasons that you're likely to see the big difference. And we certainly found that any when we're looking at our plots or in um, farmer paddocks where they've got control treatments versus liming. The more vigorous plants are able to withstand lots of lots more stress. So, and a plant that is affected by soil acidity is compromised. It's health. It's not functioning properly. It's going to be more susceptible to waterlogging, disease, pests, and of course the weed competition comes in there as well. So, it's the the yield benefits. It's not it's not clear cut. And it, it varies, but certainly over a whole system, you've got to be looking at um, the role of or the importance of managing soil acidity to get the situation where you've got options for diversity of crop types. And if you are actually starting to show um, or to see signs of acid toxicity symptoms, then you're probably already suffering significant um, yield loss. So again, what we were talking about or Jason was talking about was preventing that um, 
that deep acidity. So you're not you're responding to amelioration before you're actually starting to see those symptoms. Yeah, so you bury bury the lime, not your head in the sand or soil in this instance, and might get onto it quickly. So in terms of considerations around herbicides, obviously we're looking at the farming system here. So if growers are implementing soil amelioration, what do they need to be considerate of in terms of herbicides? The, the big one that jumped out pretty quickly with us was that with the pH stratification, you know, when people were just putting lime on the surface, the surface pH was quite often approaching 6 and up to 7, which means that the breakdown of some herbicides is affected, the ones that rely on acidity to break them down. So particularly with the SUs, if you've got um, stratification and elevated pH in the surface layers, then the plant back period for SUs can sort of go out to over 22 months. So that's certainly one consideration. Got anything to add, Jason? Yeah, so we've, we've done some work with that um, here at Charles Sturt Uni and, and uh, that issue became very apparent with pulses. And so the uh, higher pH at the surface, so uh, with the 0 to 10 sampling, it was the, the pH was coming back as not having a high pH, but the reality was that the surface was actually quite high. And so the, the SU... Uh, persisted it didn't break down and then growing legumes into that really knocked the nodulation and the growth of the plant so the plant actually suffered from the acidity deeper down the herbicide lasted longer because the pH was higher at the top and because the plant was suffering actually took lower lower amounts of herbicide residue to harm the plant so it was a real multifaceted problem that um, people you wouldn't have known if you did all the right things and soil tested you wouldn't know you're about to get a kick in the pants from that yeah, yeah. Definitely. We had one case of a farmer had total failure of lupins where he'd used SUs the previous year and a stratified pH. Yeah, so definitely important to be considering those issues. And crop competition is a major benefit from removing soil constraints like aluminium, and we've touched on this, but can, we, can you go a bit more into detail in your research on what you found in this area? So we've seen on some of our trials, and Helen touched on this earlier, when you remove a constraint, in this case acidity, your early vigour of the plant responds to be a more competitive crop. And so we've seen where we've got plots of different acid soil management. Our control plots always have more weeds in them than, than our, our limed plots. And so you remove a constraint you give a competitive advantage to the crop or the plants that you want to grow and it's, it just helps weaken that weed burden. And we've seen examples from consultants in the area where, you know, a herbicide strategy that might involve, ideally involve uh, tillage, you know, to, to help control the weed. Of course, if you're going to lime and you want to mix that into the soil via incorporation, then you're actually that tillage to control the weed you get an extra benefit because it allows you an opportunity to incorporate the lime. And now then you, you've set up, you've controlled a weed seed bank problem, ameliorate the soil so that crop coming that you've planted in or the past that you're establishing has a gr much greater vigour, early vigour, and, and you're just on top of those weeds. It's just it's such an advantage. Can I just um, add a few things there? The, the, we really are advocating incorporation of lime wherever it's appropriate, where erosion isn't a problem. And the weed 
population dynamics is going to be affected, first of all, by the cultivation. So we're going to get some burial, burial of those smaller seeds. So you're going to see things like the thistles or the vulpia, the ryegrass populations are likely to be impacted. But also what we're doing is to improve the soil environment for the introduced species. And when you do that, you may also be reducing the advantage that the adapted local species had. For example, there's paper in the next, um, or the, should have been the 2021 agronomy conference where they identified three ecotypes of annual ryegrass depend with, with different levels of tolerance to aluminium and manganese depending on what location they came from. So if you're improving, and we found it in certainly a, a very acidic site in central, on the slopes, central New South Wales, where where anywhere we where we lined, the ryegrass population was outcompeted by filarias, but in the nil treatments it was just a blanket of the ryegrass. So there's there's lots going on with population dynamics and the changing of the soil environment with the amelioration that we don't know as much about as we could. And all that sort of thing adds to that system's benefit. So, you know, I think farmers and, and advisors kind of see uh, liming the soil and and the value of it is a yield increase, but there's actually greater system benefit. So it's it's that improving crop establishment, potentially decreasing the need to to control some of those other weeds that if it remained if the soil remained acid, they had the advantage. And so you know there's a potential to reduce uh, herbicides. Uh, you've got the benefit of of increasing diversity in crops, so you may you know high value uh, crops potentially. So, you know, is that it really is that system benefit that uh, amelioration of acid soils brings to the the farmer. That's really interesting. Thank you so much to both of you for that explanation. And crop diversity is also a key part of uh, reducing weed seed banks, and this includes using things like double breaks with pulses and canola to drive down grass weed numbers and build up soil nitrogen. How can effective liming improve the crop choices growers have available to them? The um, current interest in limey is certainly driven a lot by the importance of the diversity and the value of pulses in the system. That's been a big push and certainly there would be a large proportion of some of the most productive farming country in New South Wales and Victoria where pulses, pulse heals affected by acidity. So if we're hoping to move away from the cereal canola rotations and improve diversity with by including the pulses then I mean we have to be looking at acidity and even though in you know in the charts you talk about five percent aluminium tolerance for pulses that's not our experience if you're finding a layer even a narrow band of acidity at that five to ten or ten to fifteen centimeters and the pH is down to four point eight or below and the aluminium sitting on that five percent you're going to have you know 25 to 50% yield decline with pulses and the impact on nitrogen fixation follows through. And, and that's it. Like that, in a lot of cases, that's why people are growing the pulse. They want that nitrogen benefit and the, the rhizoba are actually more impacted by the acidity than the aluminium. The plant gets impacted by the aluminium, but the, the rhizobia are impacted by the acid. And so it is possible to grow a legume in an acid soil 
but it won't fix the nitrogen. It also won't have particularly good root growth. No. So it's a very, you know. It's a sick plant. It's a sick plant and you put in there an average year with an average start or a poor start and you get crop failure. And so I know I've, I've spoken to growers who didn't lime because they wanted to, you know, they thought, oh, well, save some money, it's marginal, and they ended up with crop failure. So it cost them that year's crop and they still had to put the lime out anyway. And so it was just a, it was a very expensive. The, the, the other thing with that is that particularly with pulses on acid soils, the, the stress planned, we know that herbicide rates uh, tend to be sitting on the higher side if you're wanting to control um, difficult weed populations. If you're using high rates of herbicides on those stress plants, you're likely to have um, those phytotoxicity issues coming in. And we, we certainly have seen that. And once you've got stress plant that's also suffering from herbicide injury, you're also going to be leaving it more open to um secondary in infections with disease. So it's certainly a major consideration if you're looking at maximising or optimising opportunities for diversity in our climate. The soil is certainly the biggest constraint, I'd say. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. And this is there's such interesting detail in what you've described today. How, are, how responsive are growers when they hear this story? Are they becoming more receptive to being proactive with their subsoil acidity? For sure. I mean, we've spent quite a lot of time out and about talking to people about this. And, and so I think one of the big things that the message that I take home is what they thought they were doing, that they thought it was working. And the evidence is that it's not. So in a lot of cases, people, their systems are limited by a problem that they thought they were addressing. And so that's a bit of a game changer. And so it's become front of mind, especially establishing new pastures or, or people who are interested in growing pulses have been growing canola. So they know it's an issue that they need to watch. They thought they were addressing it. Our work's showing that actually, you know what, we're probably not addressing it as effectively as we thought and we really need to start liming to higher pH targets so that we can address deeper acidity and future-proof our agricultural systems uh, against acidification allowing us all the benefits of the diverse crop diversity and plant diversity that uh, removing that acid constraint brings and the better you know system benefit in terms of nitrogen fixation and more effective weed control certainly well such an enlightening topic thank you both for going through the details and explaining it in such a clear and concise way we really appreciate you coming on the podcast thanks jess thanks jess Thank you so much to Jason Condon and Helen Burns for giving those insights into research into soil amelioration. Pete, one of the things that really caught your attention was the fact that they talked about lime not dissolving unless it has that contact with acid soil and it really speaks to the importance of the cultivation. Can you talk a bit to that? Yeah, that's just something that we've all learnt over a number of years, Jess, and me included. It took me a long time to work out that lime doesn't just dissolve with rain. Otherwise, a limestone building would just dissolve when it rains or a limestone yep. rock wall in the ocean. So the lime has to be in contact, physical contact or very close contact with the actual acid soil. And so that's why cultivation is so good because you mix the lime, you put the lime particle right next to a piece of acid soil and that is what dissolves it. And so once I started to understand that, I really understood the importance of all of this research, Jess, and um, I think yeah, I think 
some very simple analogies there that growers can use to understand why just putting it on the top. I think we think about it like fertiliser. We're mm. used to putting fertiliser on, the rain dissolves it, and then it washes in. Lime is different. It's got to be in contact with that acid to dissolve. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, yeah, it's a really important point to reiterate because obviously, you know, you put time into putting all this lime out and so it's beneficial to get it right. And, uh, Pete, we are going to talk to a farmer and an agronomist next uh, from the region, Sandy Middleton, and he has had some massive wins uh, that we'll hear about uh, shortly when we tune into this interview but it's important it's important to get the farmer perspective because like you said you know getting the cultivating right the timing right all those sort of things um, make the make these results happen can you talk a bit to uh yeah how farmers can approach getting liming and soil amelioration right for their property so this is a big mind shift jess and it takes quite a bit to get your head around it because you know we've gone no-till for the most for the majority of the country and i think a lot of the soils we're talking about in new south wales are pretty good soil where you build structure by going no-till and so most growers are going to be listening thinking there's no way i'm going to cultivate my soil i've built this structure for decades and i don't want to mess it up and then something like this comes along and then we work out that actually maybe we're going to have to take those blinkers off and maybe think about doing something we said we'd never do again and i think sandy sums it up really well you're going to hear from him the exciting results they've they've achieved uh and he is going to you know he's now just thinking oh, we just can't do it fast enough we just we've just got to get on with this because the penny has really dropped about about what the benefits could be and and how we could aggressively get into this practice yeah no it's really exciting to hear from sandy so let's take a listen and uh hear what the results he's got out of improving his subsoil acidity have been Farmer and agronomist Sandy Middleton joins us on this interview to talk about how he deals with subsoil acidity. Sandy has seen benefits in applying lime to improve soils, ultimately leading to more profits. And some of the notable improvements that he has seen has been in improved crop competition with weeds, better root growth of the crop and improved legume nodulation. He does join us now. How are you going, Sandy? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Jess. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Before we get into this topic, though, can you give us a bit of background on yourself, where you farm and, and where you work as an agronomist? Yeah, sure. So uh, my wife and I and our family farm up in Tumbarumba in the sort of western edge of the Snowy Mountains. We run a beef grazing enterprise in a, I guess, high rainfall environment. Then my agronomy takes me primarily down around Holbrook um, in southern New South Wales and a little bit into the Upper Murray. So, um, yeah, a big bulk of my clients are around, based around Holbrook and um, which we generally are a mixed farming cohort of growers from generally um, sheep and grazing cereals, perennial pastures and some of those people have beef and a few have a mix of everything. So a sort of medium to high rainfall environment, pretty, um, I suppose, um, regular rainfall, safe, probably considered a safe environment. Um, 
So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good mix. Yeah, excellent, and beautiful part of the world too. Now, Sandy, you've been really proactive in applying updated principles in dealing with subsoil acidity, and you've taken on board a lot of the research that has been led by Jason Condon and others. How has this new information helped you inform your decisions on your own farm and the advice you give to your clients? Yeah, well, um, I've been fortunate enough to be be a little bit involved with Jason in some of his work uh, in the Holbrook area with some some uh, hopefully what will turn out to be some long term lime sites. Jason and Helen Burns have really been driving the message in our area, and combined with Holbrook Landcare, it's been it's been really good. A mix of of interaction with those people and as well as growers. So we've been fortunate to be sort of have some of the information coming to us firsthand and it's just been invaluable so we probably have been underlining a lot of our country I guess when I first started there 10 years ago we thought yeah we'd start from a very low pH of say 4.2 to 4.4 and we'd probably get to about 4.8 and we'd often clap our hands and go oh great we'll wax some canola in and mm. and we were I guess in in the Good rainfall years, we probably got away with it and would get two and a half ton yields pretty consistently on 10% aluminium. But then once those dry seasons hit, we sort of found that the, the root depth wasn't exploring, chasing that moisture down deeper. So some of this work that they've been doing has been invaluable and it's really reinforced a message to a lot of, I guess, even agronomists as well as the producers you know, we shouldn't be happy with anything under 5.5. So that's where we've been striving and we're seeing some some pretty quick results really of just, you know, the initial application to get the pH above that 5.5 might only be one tonne in that, that first application. So instead of a 2.5 tonne of lime to the hectare, we're doing a 3.5 tonne and that's been the catalyst for driving some really good results and pushing the excess carbon down the profile into the lower subsoil over time. So, yeah, I, we've been very fortunate to have the likes of those specialists and Jason and Helen driving things for us. Yeah, definitely. That's some really exciting results and obviously this, uh, you know, leads to improved profits. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what improvements you've seen in, I guess, yield because of the, the liming approach that you've taken? Yes, yeah, so some really good data came out of a, a lime site where we've got a lot of different rates as well as incorporation versus surface applied and just incorporated with a, an air seeder as it goes through. So we've had two crops off that now. We had a canola in the first year, a grazing canola, and then the second year we had our grazing cereals and we had a, a red wheat in that in that paddock last year. And it's been a bit of an eye-opener because a lot of people were probably in the mindset that we can apply that lime on top of the surface and just put the air seeder through it and that'll be a bit of incorporation. And now there's a lot more speed tillers kicking around these days and, and even some guys dusting off the, the old offsets to, to really work that lime in and, and we're driving it into as, basically now as deep as we can. and. The lime site last year, we had over like a nil treatment strip, we had basically a three-ton yield increase. 
Wow. In the, in the pots that were targeting that 5.5, just over 5.5 pH. So, you know, that, that's one year. Unfortunately, we, we haven't got any dry matter data, which is probably going to be, you know, that's just as valuable, but it's it's hard to get, you know, the funding these days and the, the people on the ground. But, yeah, so, I mean, uh, a three-ton increase, I think that wheat was actually sold for about, I think from memory, it was sold in January for about $347 a tonne. So that extra three tonne went a fair way. So it's, we did, uh, there was some brief dry matter done, uh, cuts done on the canola last year and there was a there was a, a dry matter difference, but we didn't, there was no stats put over it or anything. But compared to the nil and the surface applied versus the incorporated, in every treatment, even if the lime treatments weren't getting the pH above 5.5, we were seeing just the incorporation effect of that lime increasing the yield. So there's definitely a benefit for, uh, for incorporating. We're seeing the benefit of yeah targeting that higher pH to what we traditionally didn't target. And a lot of this stuff now, we're probably translating it through into some pasture sort of theories that if it's doing that in this in the wheat scenario and the canola scenario, it's going to be doing it for our perennial pastures, which most of those around here are phalaris-based subclover, phalaris-based submixes, forming the backbone of our our grazing enterprises, and and they're all you know acid sensitive species. So with a bit of luck, we will have some data over the next few years to maybe even back up what we are pretty confident mm. we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that would be great. And so in terms of uh, paddock variability, are you seeing improvements in that regard as well? Yeah, we are. So it's um, we're in an area that's, um, you know, paddock sizes are, are probably anywhere from 20 to 30 hectares as standard. So pH mapping isn't a big thing in our area at the moment. It's Don't worry, it's coming, but not like uh, those, you know, cropping areas where big hectares and, and it's a the standard thing. But the guys that are pH mapping, they're certainly starting to even up some variability in their paddocks and um, and even where we blanket apply lime across a whole paddock at a set rate, we're starting to see that, you know, all, all those variable areas are they're picking up but we're probably not evening things out as much as we'd like to that we could achieve, I guess, with some pH mapping. So down the track, hopefully the pH mapping will be there, but we're certainly, yeah, fixing some some issues. And it's probably coming to the fore in Lucent country. Right. That, I guess that's where we're probably seeing it the, the best, yeah. Yeah, great. No, that's that sounds really positive. And uh, what about in terms, we did mention the root growth uh, improvements. Can you talk to that point a bit? Yeah, so, um, I mean, with our spring canolas, we often see a lot of J-rooting uh, in those. And I guess they're going; they're often going in the ground a little bit later than our grazing canolas. And it's cold and often a bit wet. And then there's some just some horrendous acid bands underneath. So we see a lot of J-rooting in our canolas. So where we've worked a lot of lime in and, and worked it to as, as deep as we can, some machines were able, able to mix lime down to 
20 centimetres, others sort of that 10 to 12 centimetre band. And we're seeing increased um, yeah, root growth almost immediately. And not that we grow a lot of faber beans, but the, the guys that dabble with the faber beans and, and lupins to that extent, we see immediately we see the increased nodulation on those and nodulating down to a depth, it, not just at you know, the top sort of few centimetres on a plant, they're nodulating down to, to the depth that the line has been worked into. So that translates straight into a, a healthier plant and it's certainly the, the case our Phalaris country as well where we're putting our perennial pastures. The Phalaris, particularly in the establishment year, can really drive their roots down and chase a bit of moisture and if we have a dry spring that risks the establishment of the pasture, we just find that, that lime effect buffers a potential dry spring that could see that Phalaris fail. So Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And obviously, you know, some of the improvements you've talked about in terms of the crops there, you know, would lead to a more competitive crop, which as our listeners know, a competitive crop often will outcompete weeds. Are you seeing an improvement in your weed control as well with these more competitive crops coming up because of the improved soil conditions? Yeah, we, we are, Jess. It's, it's, I guess it's a, just the benefit of having everything working in our favour that the crop gets away and, and isn't impeded early. So on our light granite soils, we often have a mix. Our, our weeds, you can almost guarantee that you'll have erodium, sorrel in, in those sort of light granite country. And as soon as we've, well, not as soon as, but after a couple of years of that line being able to work, where we often get on top of the, the erodium and the sorrel pretty quick. But I guess... I see the weed side of things just as much in the perennial pasture situation. So where we find if the pH hasn't been addressed adequately, we find that our phalaris or our loosen seems to thin out a bit quicker than what people would like. And straight away we see that influx of silvergrass, mm. depending on soil type, erodium and sorrel, a bit of capeweed certainly comes in, but then barley grass is the, is the, the big one. So. Right. All our sheep producers pull their hair out that springtime once it runs to head. And there's a bit of a link between a low pH and those annual weeds coming in. So yeah. we see it, I guess, our crop growth certainly keeps things at bay um, pretty well if, if we've addressed that line well. So, yeah, the, the crop com- competition, just addressing the pH, it, it just makes a lot of sense in numerous ways. Yeah, it does, definitely. Well, it sounds like you're having a win with this approach. Do you have any tips that you'd pass on to other people in your region with this approach or any final comments around it? Yeah, it's certainly something that I probably can't stress enough to to my client base of getting onto this pH and getting in front of the issue. So a lot of of producers are still in that, that phase of, Oh, a lime in, I'll just put that lime out in front of my canola or I'll put it out in front of the perennial pasture where now I've got a big focus on putting that lime out earlier. If, you know, try and get it out a couple of years in front to give it a chance to, to start working in the soil for you before, before you need it. So it's basically a, how big a bite can you, can you chew off in the budget to, to address the pH if you've got a pH issue and, 
whether it be a cropper or a grazier, go as hard as you can because we're getting the we're getting the yields, we're getting the payback from it, and the livestock producers are getting that payback just as much now with commodity prices. So it's just that for me, it's just I can't get it done quick enough. Yeah. Quickly. Well, you've yeah. definitely sold it as a really good approach. So thank you so much for explaining your experience with uh, liming and the benefits that you're seeing. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me, Jess. Thank you so much to farmer and agronomist Sandy Middleton there for shedding some light on his approach to fixing subsoil acidity. And Pete, it was really exciting to see he has had such a big win with yield response at three tonnes and, yeah, really increasing his profits. Can you talk a bit to that? Because that's a real selling point, isn't it? Oh, man, there's no better selling point than that, is there, Jess? At $340 a tonne, that's, you know, over a 1000 bucks. A hectare in, uh, have I got my maths right? I think I have, yeah, $1,000 a hectare straight up and then the benefits will last for probably another decade or so. And so the return on investment on these things is enormous, Jess. So um, that's obviously a very good result. But from what I'm hearing from other agronomists, Greg Condon I chatted to about this and, you know, and Sandy has seen it on other properties over there, it, the, the res- responses are going to be there. They're going to be big. Yeah, definitely. And was there anything else that uh, stood out for you uh, with this um, from this chat with Sandy? It was probably just a bit of a discussion about how they're actually going about it, Jess. And listening to Sandy and talking to Greg Condon, they're sort of saying that growers are trying to get – there's a few different implements. They're pretty aggressive tillage. They are um, cultivating often to about 200 mil depth, the old eight inches. They sort of say that the knife point press wheels, even though you think you've got this point ripping in five or six inches deep, it's just not actually working the lime in. It needs to be more sort of inversion and, and real mixing type tillage. And so, yeah, like I said before, it goes against the grain a bit about what we've been doing for a long time. Um, But it is like a one-off. So it might be 15 or 20 years before it needs doing again, if ever. So they're Mm. thinking that, you know, we can just put on the high rate of lime, like Sandy said, three tonne plus one aggressive tillage and then just keep the top up lime on the surface and then hopefully, you know, maybe a long way down the track we'll need to have another go at cultivating. But we're certainly not talking about cultivating every year. It's probably every 10, 15, 20 years. We we don't know yet, but, yeah, very irregularly, Jess. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again to all of our guests today, Jason Condon, Helen Burns and Sandy Middleton. That is the topic uh, summed up on soil amelioration and subsoil acidity. And it was really great to get the southern perspective. We did uh, have the western perspective last year with Dr Stephen Davies, who talked about this topic in quite a bit of detail. So it's really great to get, uh, yeah, a different region to talk about it. But at the end of this podcast, Pete, we do run through what our new content is on the website. So we'll just give you a bit of a heads up on what you might want to check out that is new. We do have an article on maximising the benefits of new pre-M chemistry available. So our Southern Extension agronomist, Greg Condon, says that the wet conditions experienced last season have provided some really useful insights into the new chemistries under commercial field conditions. So that's a really good one to check out. We also hear from Shane Kelly from Kelly Tillage about how tickling your soil surface to stimulate weed growth before planting can be beneficial for controlling your weeds. Pete, this is probably a little bit late for some people, but it might be worth considering. And it's another one that sort of goes against the grain about soil disturbance. Can you just talk a little bit to uh, why this might be something people might consider? 
we've had a wet start just for a lot of people not everyone but a lot, a lot of growers have had some good moisture and the trick to the autumn tickle is you do it when you get that early wet start and the other trick is you've got to wait for a good two weeks for the full germination to happen before you knock it down and so given that the rain is early enough we actually will have some growers that will be in that situation where waiting two weeks from the rain will put them somewhere in early to mid may uh, and so it can it could fit really well for a, you know a few paddocks for growers in those situations where they've had good rain yep so if that if that is a topic that uh yeah you've been thinking about maybe give that one a read and uh we also have an article just running through our big six principles it's a bit of a reminder of what the big six big six principles stand for and so that could definitely help you plan out um, your weed control strategies over the next year so it's another good one to check out and our ask an expert for this month is with dr michael widerick from department of agriculture fisheries queensland and he's talking about uh how faber bean crops can outcompete south thistles so yeah he talks about how that crop has the potential to significantly curb common south thistle which is a really problematic weed uh, with widespread resistance to key herbicides such as glyphosate and chlorsulfuron so definitely check that one out but pete how can people keep up to date with everything because as i've mentioned we've got quite a few things that uh, have come out for people to check out how do people keep on top of it all well, the best way to get in touch with us and follow us is on Twitter and Facebook, Jess. I don't do Facebook, Jess, but I, <laughs> well, I do for my kids' dancing classes, uh, but Twitter, I do love Twitter and good place where we post all our articles, videos and podcasts and uh, people can interact with us there. For example, they might want to ask some, get some discussion going about how to incorporate lime and what sort of tillage implements. Uh, also, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter, the Weed Smart Whip Around. It's a roundup of all of our new content. You can easily click on what's relevant to you. Thanks, Pete. Yep, definitely ask your questions and share your uh, approaches to soil amelioration and that kind of thing. We'd be keen to hear from you. And uh, all those articles I mentioned just before, they will be linked in the show notes, as well as the ticket link for Weed Smart Week Mildura, so you can get some more info and buy your tickets. And just finally, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts is a massive, massive help to get the word out about Weed Smart. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed uh, on your podcast app of choice by searching Weed Smart Podcast. And until next time, thanks so much. All the best with uh, seeding and uh, hope it all goes well. Uh, Pete, do you have any final words you want to share this this week? Yeah, good luck for seeding everyone and have a safe seeding. That's my message this year. Yeah, do it. Hopefully everyone gets through nice and safely. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right, we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much.